Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is DTC Growth Hacking with Rob McGray. Brought to you by Field Test. Advertising Simplified. This is DTC Growth Hacking presented by Field Test. My name's Rob McGray. This is a podcast dedicated to the new language of marketing. And Field Test, who, who produces this, is an ad platform that takes the mystery out of building a great customer base. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow, subscribe, listen, tell your friends, do all that stuff. Today, I, I'm going to step back for a minute. I'm really excited because I feel like life is this weird thing that kind of goes full circle every once in a while, or maybe a quarter circle, or maybe just a little bit of a circle. But my friend Alice Markham, who uh, I, have to, I have to start with a little bit of preface to our, the context of our, of our friendship, who I met over a decade ago, who walked into my office and just blew me away with her knowledge of marketing and how, how the internet worked and, you know, was just the dream person to find for what we were doing at, at the time, which was a lot of social media marketing. Um, we were just about to go over and start working full-time for Disney. And one of the things throughout the entire period, um, that I was working with Alice was that she had this, this kind of crazy hobby that she was also a taxidermist. And what's super cool about kind of Alice's journey is that at some point, <laughs> at some point along the way, she decided to kind of switch roles and became a full-time taxidermist. She's actually a master taxidermist. She's the founder of Prey Taxidermy. She is, uh, like I said, she's probably one of the most gifted marketers I've ever met. And it really shows because she has just kind of taken off. Um, she's huge in the, in the world of taxidermy and museums and, and animal rights. And she does all of this with this incredible pride and thoughtfulness and kindness that I, I just don't don't think you see all the time. Um, I, I guess it's passion, but it's more than that. And if if you happen to have some time, I really recommend you check out the documentary Stuffed. It's on Amazon or Amazon Prime, and it really focuses on Alice and some of her professional colleagues and, and paints a really, really interesting picture into what goes on in the world of taxidermy. Alice, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me on, Rob. I'm so excited to be here and to be talking with you again. Yeah, it's super cool. It's super cool to reconnect. And I, I think I was trying to come up with how I would title subject-wise this episode. And I think what I'm using in my mind is how brand and persona intersect. And I think that feels appropriate to me of, of what you've what you've accomplished and how you've done it. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, yeah, I, for me, how I'm perceived out there, especially in taxidermy can be kind of off-putting or controversial. So maybe that's a very fitting title because that's something that I have to really work with a lot. 
Yeah, yeah. But stepping back for just a sec, Alice, because I just want to talk about that moment in time when you made that complete shift. Um, because I know a lot of listeners or people in general, especially coming out of the pandemic, have been asking themselves a lot of questions. And I think one of those questions that, and, and myself as well, that we've been asking ourselves is, is this really what we want to spend our lives doing? I, I know that you were, there was no need for you to stop being a marketer. You were incredibly successful. Like I said, you're incredibly gifted and smart and wonderful. And I always think back to that, that time in, when, we, when we were pitching together to Jerry Bruckheimer and he just would not pay attention to me. Thank you, Jerry. Um, but but I, I wonder, like, what, what was it that happened to make you say, you know what? I'm going to go all in on taxidermy. It's really what I want to do. It's really what I was meant to do. Like, how does that, how does that happen? Well, you know, we, we, uh, working at Disney, we were part of a different business unit there. We were part of a company that you founded and then that was acquired by Disney. And so, you know, I never really set out to work at such a large corporation. And I'm looking back, like, I don't feel like that was, going to end up being a good fit for me working with you and being rough and tumble and very hands-on right when that first started out that was a lot of fun but as time went on we got more absorbed into the mouse if you will Mm -hmm. things kind of started going a bit at least for me kind of day to day and then you know I had some just the way this we were being restructured really wasn't working for me um and I had that moment like you said people coming out of the pandemic, like, if I could do anything, what would it be? And the answer for me was really, I wanted to work in museums. I was really obsessed with natural history museums. I love science. I love art and had been doing taxidermy as a hobby. And I really wanted to make a run at it. And I did that with knowing that it was a very niche field knowing there was nobody else doing this in LA. There was certainly nobody doing it out there with any kind of marketing skills. And there was nobody out there doing it that looked like me. And I know how to brand myself, which is why Jerry Bruckheimer paid attention to me. (laughs) And and, and not me. Yes. I think maybe I could use some branding help. Maybe we could talk after this. I'm kind of going through a thing. I could, I could <laughs> honestly use some help on personal branding. But so, so basically what I'm hearing is you've got at this point, you've got the mind of a marketer. You're looking, you're constantly looking for how to engage, how to get people excited, how to get people interested professionally. And you have this realization that, you know what, I could do that for me. Yeah, absolutely. It's how do I utilize the skills I've acquired to, you know, work on all this, this movie marketing and all of these other things. Like, how do I actually utilize this for myself as a small business? And I think any kind of business today, whatever it is you do, a chunk of your business is marketing because that's how you bring in work today. And that means you need to understand today it's really about social media and getting different types of content out there. Like social media today is pretty much branding. Like that's where your brand lives. So understanding that I could make it work for myself because what's easier to sell than myself? nothing. I can, I know me, I know what I can do. I know what I want to do. So I should be able to sell that. Yeah. You know, I've always been scared 
um, I think as a, as a person to, I, I think, you know, I'm one of those people and I create very clear boundaries for myself of how far I want to go in terms of putting myself out there. And I actually think it, it, it's probably hurt me professionally because I'm only willing to go so far. And I don't know if it's a confidence thing or, or, or what it is. I, I think I'm only recognizing it now as we talk. Um, but this idea that you become the brand, you know, when I look at Prey Taxidermy, right, you know, you have done a, such a good job of, to me, it's not a company. It's an individual. It's a skill. It's a passion. You've wrapped but you've wrapped it all around yourself. And, and I know that that's, that's scary for people, including myself, but it's also, there's a danger there because you have to let people get to know you to a certain extent. And I wonder, like, as you started this journey, were, like, did you think about that? Did you create boundaries? Did you, did you have a plan or did you just kind of jump all in and pull back as necessary or move forward as necessary? Um, I think with me, so yeah, boundaries are a big part of it. I am, I have found a balance in that if you go on to the big channel for me is Instagram. So if you go to my Instagram page and you look on there, you're not going to see any of my vacation photos. You're not going to see any of that in my stories. You're not going to see pictures of my friends or my significant other. You can't tell if I'm married, divorced, anything. In fact, a lot of the only photos of me on there are professionally taken ones. So it creates a bit of a distance, but at the same time, when I write about things, I write in a very personable way. Mm -hmm. I tell people my process or of how I do something or why I really care about this particular animal. And then when people comment, I always write them back and I keep it really humble because that's kind of how I am. And I keep it kind of really fun and I call people doll and, and that's kind of like how I am. I write in my voice, but I write in the voice in which I maybe am that I want people to hear. I'm writing in the voice that I want people to hear. It's my best self. You go out for an evening, you dress nice, you're going to talk nicer. That's what social media is to me. When you go to my social media, I'm going to dress nicer. I'm going to talk nicer. And I'm not going to pull you into the corner and show you a whole bunch of selfies that you don't want to see. Right. I'm not going to show you my vacation photos because you weren't there. And you're going to get, it's just going to cause people FOMO or whatever you want to call it. But that's done a couple different things. That creates distance for me. I mean, if you watch the documentary, you can't even tell that I was married at the time. I didn't allow any of that. But if you ask anyone who follows me or has done my classes online or has seen the documentary, they think they have a pretty good idea about who I am. And so that's the goal, right? Be personable without getting too personal. Mm, I really like that, that term you used, your best self. This, this persona that you create, which is like the ultimate you. Um, and then you can kind of pick and choose what flaws you may or may not want to share and et cetera, et cetera. It's like dating. 
Yeah. Right? You're going to look nice. You're going to talk nice. You're going to tell them like your best stories. And then like as time goes on, maybe you're a little bit more pragmatic about who you are. And then eventually you're like, this is the train wreck. That's me. Uh, The goal with social media is just never show them the train wreck. Yeah. Yeah. And Alice, I'm throwing you a curveball for a second. But do you feel a sense of responsibility um, as have as someone who has influence? I mean, you have you have passionate followers that are, you know, that are following you for your taxidermy um, skills and knowledge. But do you feel a sense of responsibility to knowing that not everyone lives the lifestyle that that you live or lives here, et cetera, et cetera, that that it's your job not to make them feel like shit? Because because one of the things that I, I, I wrestle with is we've got all this great technology and all this great communication. And I guess my biggest um, criticism against someone like Facebook is that it they've kind of just leveraged it to sell, 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 sell. And FOMO, as you, you are well aware, is a really powerful sales tool. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have this, I have it, you should get it, buy it, right? And if I go through Instagram, for example, on the average day, with that, with that message in my head, most of the posts ring out as just that. Like, you're less than me. You don't get to go on fancy vacations. You don't have a fancy car. You don't have this. You don't have that. Like, you don't have all this stuff. And, and you're, you're, not, you're not living it the way you should. You're lacking something as a person. And one of the things I love about your taxidermy, and you just said it, like, your, your feeds are about taxidermy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I keep it. So yeah, to answer your like the first part of that, like, do I feel a responsibility? Yeah, I have a lot of um, a lot of young people following follow me. My demographic skews pretty young. It's, it tends to be a lot of young women who are interested in science uh, or art or both. And so, how does it? benefit them, right? For me to post a bunch of my vacation photos. And I I do have the privilege, I get to go do amazing things. And I'm so grateful that I have that ability in my life. But showing them that it does no good to them. It just means like, they kind of feel like the have nots, and I'm now the have. And the other thing it does is how does it benefit me? So putting up photos, let's say, of of a vacation of mine or putting it in my stories, it doesn't help my bottom line either. So I've made maybe someone feel bad, probably. And then my clients, if they see it, I'd look a bit less professional. Also, they ask themselves, wow, this is, you know, she's able to do this. We're paying her too much or whatever it is. Right. Um, they're seeing what happens with like their money, which ain't great for clients. Let's face it. And who does it really attract? You know, every time you post something that people don't like, um, or they just remember that you're there and maybe they don't want to follow you anymore, or they're not interested in the content, they unfollow. So by posting things that are irrelevant to my bottom line, I'm doing nobody any good, least of all myself or my business. So I just don't post things like that. Yeah. It feels like there's this weird pressure today for brands and, and, you know, I lump kind of everything under brands for brands to pick a side, uh, tell us how they feel about certain subjects, whether they're political or whatever. And and I just, I, I have to assume it's a really 
tough time to be a brand because you can't, you, there's no way you can, you can, you can satisfy everybody's demands on you. And, you know, because, because we all have different opinions, but this idea of having to take a side or show where you stand on, on a particular issue, is, is that something that you've had to wrestle with? Like how, how much to say about, about your personal beliefs? Um, yeah, so I mean, I think that's a delicate, that's a bit of a balance, right? I think on the one hand, if you don't say anything that looks, um, it looks like you just don't care, you're apathetic. If you say too much or you get out there in front of it, you know, I'm a very white lady. And so that could look like I'm trying to be the white savior, any of that, or I'm taking attention away from other people who have more legitimate voices, um, assuming we're talking about racial issues in this. Um, so, you know, what do, what do I do, right? For me, the answer has been to amplify more relevant voices to the cause. For instance, you know, when we were having uh, Black Lives Matter, um, you know, during the summer of 2020, when it was kind of, you know, at its height, as, or I should say that the protests were at their height. Um, and uh, one of the things I did was share a lot of content from Black in STEM, um, black birders, um, you know, POC outdoors. Like I actually shared a lot of that kind of content. And so that people were finding their channels. And so that there's no way that I am benefiting from, uh, you know, any kind of trying to get any recognition or anything like that for myself, but I'm amplifying those voices. So that was important to me. Another thing that I did was just be like, you know, I was doing um, uh, some free taxidermy lessons on Instagram live that benefited the ACLU. And you can go to um, praytaxidermy.com and go to the dead stream and you can still donate there. These were, and they're going to be up forever. They're free taxidermy lessons. But in the background of some of them, you can see I've got Black Lives Matter. I've got, you know, my pride flag. I've got a picture of Ruth Gator, uh, Bader Ginsburg. So, but I didn't say anything about them. They're just there because Honestly, those were already hanging in the studio. So it was pretty easy to just make that my background. So that's kind of how I've done it. Um, and I think the reaction to that has been, has been good. I know a bunch of good old boys, you know, have watched my taxidermy videos and no one said anything. So anything negative. Right. You know, you, you hit on something there and I hadn't thought of it quite so hard before, but there's this, uh, when we talk about the bottom line, you know, a lot of companies, and, and I am in no way accusing you of this, by the way, but a lot of companies will take an opinion that benefits their bottom line. So they don't necessarily really have a belief one way or the other, you know, like a politician who, you know, doesn't really know if, 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 they, if they're pro-choice or pro-life or pro-whatever. They just go to where the most votes are. And, and I wonder about these brands today who are, who are really like doubling down on whatever movement that they think they should, because really ultimately they just want, they just want the dollars, you know, they want to move product. They, 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 I mean, if we look at companies that way under that somewhat skeptical um, lens, it begins to paint a scary pictures, uh, a, sc- a scary picture of, of, you know, of, of what that says about, you know, about these brands, but even more about, you know, us as a society. 
and how we're like aligning where we're aligning our values. And I'm going to see, I'll show you where I went with all this. How important are your actual values to your brand? When you were creating this brand and you sat down with a piece of paper and said, like, pray taxidermy is these things and is not these things. How many of those things on the on the absolute yes side came directly from you? Um, I mean, I think pretty, I think all of them because my, my company is me, right? I work with my hands. If, um, without me, there is no, no company at all. Without my hands, there, there is no company at all. So for me, um, and I am such a passionate person and I do, um, you know, my, my, my politics, my ethics, like those are always very front of mind for me. Um, so all of those are really important. And then especially because I'm working in conservation and education, I mean, my work is for museums and nature centers. So these are science-based institutions and science is very much under fire at the moment. So I think standing up for you know, certainly like science-based things, um, is, uh, that's, that's right there. 100%. That's part of my brand. So it, it wouldn't even be strange for me. I don't think to post something about like people getting vaccinated or whatever. I mean, that's on brand with science. Right. So, and as far as like political views and things like this, um, you know, I just haven't felt the need to comment on, on certain things around that. That's probably something I do, um, more in the Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Subversive. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You know, 
when I think about taxidermy, and I thought of, I, I I thought about this for a while, and I think one of the organic associations I made for some reason was I associated taxidermy with hunting. Yeah. And I, I think it's because I've seen so many like movies or whatever where there's a lot of like heads on the wall. Yeah. You know? And unfortunately, because of the times we live in, when I think of hunting, I think of actually the Trump brothers, like, you know, on some, you know, super high end safari where the animal's probably drugged and, and <laughs> they walk up and take some pictures with, with it after they, you know, kill it. I don't think of um, it being humane. I don't think of it as an art form. I think of it in my mind, it's become this like super rich asshole activity that, that people like to brag about. And I wonder if, if that was something that you felt up against because you've approached it very much as an art form. And I know you as a person and I know how much you love animals and you know, what a big heart you have for, for all types of animals. And, and that you treat, you know, you treat this whole thing with such respect. Um, did you feel that you needed to communicate that to an audience that might have negative con like kind of associations already? I had to communicate that every day, still every day. You know, I mean, we've had the documentary. I've been on ologies. I'm very clear in everything I post on Instagram or other social media. Yet, you know, I I get and we could go into my inbox right now on Instagram in my DMs and I'll, I'll have a bunch of like, um, you know, hate, hate mail, whatever you want to call it. Um, but what I kind of look at is it's, it's ignorance. Like they don't know, right? So they don't know that I'm not going out there and killing these animals. And so why am I making these animals? Well, they die. I'm not killing them. They're hit by cars or they die at a rehab facility and I'm making them to educate the public. So the way that I look at these messages now is it's just another opportunity to educate the public. First, I have to educate the public that, hey, guess what? Taxidermy is, you know, I'm not going out and killing these animals. These are from museums and nature centers. This is how it died. You know, this is all about conservation. And only then, once I've educated them enough to get past these preconceived notions, can I, I hope to get them to actually care about the individual animals and the environment around them. So I just look at it as that now. Um, but that's something, especially in the beginning, you know, I kind of leaned on the phrase um, ethical taxidermy. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I ended up getting rid of over time. Um, but I think it was really useful in the beginning beginning because it got people immediately you hear ethical taxidermy and you're like oh somebody's thinking about this they're not killing the animal probably let me look into it right. and now i'm at the place where i've been doing this for over a decade i've got a certain reputation i've got a certain look that people will dive into it more mostly before just straight up attacking me so it's it's few and far between now it's actually pretty it's been pretty good did you when and 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 like I said before you you were the subject of a, a feature documentary and 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 I kind of know the answer to this but but you know as as you were going through that process of having people follow you around for what I have to imagine it was more than like a day it had to be months you know if not a year right 
the documentary spanned over two and a half years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's a long time to have pe- uh, cameras <laughs> like on what? you. They weren't there every day. They were just like, hey, when do you, you know, it would definitely be like, I don't know how much they filmed with me. It was a lot. And some of it's not even on the screen, but they were not there every day. You know, it was like every two months they would come by. And and was it key for you and the filmmakers to kind of agree on the messaging of what you guys were trying to to show the world? No, it was key for me to refuse to do it without the messaging that I wanted. Um, I had been approached, oh my gosh, there was one point where I think like every week, this is back in like 2015, every single week, I was getting an email from some reality TV production company, big ones too, like the people who did Inked LA or whatever, wanting me to do a reality TV show about a downtown LA taxidermy studio. And that sounds like a a nightmare to me. And it sounds, you know, and I decided early on, I was like, this is not going to last. If I do this and I get a TV show and there's some horrible graphic behind me as I fold my arms right in front of it uh, with my, you know, whoever works for me creating some drama, like, okay, I'll have a TV show and that could turn into whatever, but this is not my brand. I am not the Kat Von D of taxidermy. And that is so clearly what they want. But that's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. I want to be the Dita Von T's of taxidermy. I want to be like, I want to be this other thing, right? Like academic, all of this, right? So I did not answer those emails. And then finally, the director of, of, of this one, Erin, she reached out wanted to do one about conservation and education. I got on the phone with her and said, listen, I'll, you know, I looked at her other work. I was like, I'll meet with you. But just so you know, none of my private life is going into this. I have a husband. He'll never be on film. Uh, And uh, I have, there's no drama or whatever you want to call it at my studio. I love everybody that works for me. And we have a, we have mutual respect here. And um, this is conservation and education. And if it doesn't feel like that, I'm I'm just going to walk and you can burn all of the footage. And I said this and uh, I met with her and she, those, none of those things were her intention. She just wanted to create a beautiful film and show people the other side of this very misunderstood art. But I, again, I really had a clear vision of who I wanted to be perceived as. Yeah. Yeah. And I could see you, um, you know, because you're one of these people who is very much aware of what's happening. Um, and, And what I mean by that is that there are subtle things that are always happening in a room or on camera and you just happen to have this ability to be very, very aware. And I, I think that what ends up happening to a lot of people is they get caught up in these opportunities like, you know, like the inked of the taxidermy world example where they're not really aware of that they're just going to be used, mm. right? That, that they're going to give away their brand because their brand is going to become whatever some executive says it is. Mm-hmm. Right. They're going to. And in fact, they're going to lose their voice. They're essentially and, and not to be mean or put down anybody who's taken us like a, a, a deal because I know they could be super lucrative. But 
you're ultimately going to become a puppet and no longer in control of, of how you're going to be perceived by the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something. And look, I have done, so I've done like quite a few media things and I have had people try to be like, Hey, can you say it like this? Or like, Oh, would you be willing to say this? And my answer to that is always no. Um, you know, I just, and I really think about something before I decide to do it, no matter how big or how small it is. And I will say yes to a lot of opportunities, but I'll only say yes to doing them in my way. And there's, there's other things too. Like there was, you know, a couple other things I'm now seeing on Netflix that they were interested in me being on or whatever. And, you know, you can go out and you can do that and you can get your 15 minutes and you'll get some good promotion or whatever. And, you know, I could probably get up to 600,000 Instagram followers, but I don't think there's a big point in doing that because I currently have two years worth of work in the freezer that I need to get through. I don't really need to get more followers. That's not actually going to do anything. That's more work for me to just answer them and engage and do all this kind of stuff doesn't actually end up helping my bottom line. And so I don't really need to just do a whole bunch of promotion because my clients are museums and nature centers. And that's going to be way better for me than doing a whole bunch of tiny retail stuff. So I think for me, it's just understanding what kind of promotion am I doing? Something like this, talking with you, different angle on, on what I do, fantastic. Ologies, science-based podcasts, great. You know, thinking about the kind of promotion I do and then doing that rather than just going for the big fish that I can't even eat. Right. That's interesting. Else, have I asked you this before? Were you always as this confident? Because ever since I've known you, you have been, but were you just born this way? You know, I, yeah, I've always been pretty confident. I think, uh, you know, I grew up, I lived in Florida when I was a kid. Please don't blame me for that. Um, But uh, yeah, I had a little bit of like a rough childhood and then got the heck out of there and moved to New York City essentially by myself at 18 because anything seemed better than living in Florida. And I'm sorry, but I was right. So, um, you know, after that, I was like, all right, if I can live in New York City alone as a teenager, I'm nothing can nothing can hurt me you can't eat me yeah you know I think it's interesting I think it's a good lesson you know you are someone who you established this confidence early on you're you're smart you're dynamic but but the thing I would say that that I've always gravitated towards is you trust your gut and it doesn't matter if someone's gut or is right or wrong but if it's right for them and it leads them to where they want to actually go then, then it's working. And you just seem like someone who realized, though, I've got this voice inside and it's typically right. Maybe I'll just listen and let it, let it take me where it's going to take me. Is that accurate? That's very accurate. I do have a very good gut and it does, you know, and the times I do make mistakes in whatever way, I always have that moment when I was like, man, I told myself not to do that. I knew that this was going to happen. And um, what I've heard this called, by the way, and I think this is a really good skill for, for any kind of work, but especially when you're talking 
about marketing. I've heard this called seeing around corners. And so you can imagine like if you're going to put something out there online or whatever it is, and you've got little voice in the back of your head that says like, I hope people don't perceive it this way. And then you're like, ah, they probably won't. Listen to that little second Listen to that tiny little second of, I hope, da 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 da, because that will 100% happen. Um, and that, again, that, that you can call it gut, you can call it whatever, but it's also like if you had that reaction for a second and you're really close to the material, somebody who's not close to the material or the content will have that reaction. Yeah. Yeah. I almost uh, got run over by a truck this morning. I probably was like a second away from getting run over. No. And, you know, the whole ride after, because I'm on my bike, for like an hour, I'm just thinking of this wicked, like, next door post I'm going to do <laughs> about, <laughs> about like, you know, people's driving. And I want to remind everybody, because I don't think anybody seems to know this, that going up has the right of way. You need to move for people going up on mountain hills. And it's it was actually on my driving test. And if I didn't have that question, I might not know. But I went on, I, I ended up writing this two-page like rant. And I was so close to posting it. And then the thing I, I kind of said, well, one, this is probably too long. Mm -hmm. uh, I read it to Julie, my wife, and, and she said, yeah, you can't post that. Um, it's ridiculously long. And, and by the way, what you're complaining about is like that someone almost ran you over on your bike and, you know, people just aren't going to think it's a big deal um, that you're riding around Los Feliz on a bicycle and almost hit by a car. But I, I, I kind of took a step back because I was almost sad that – I want to be careful the way I say this, that I was afraid to express my upsetness because the world has become a place of like, you know, extremes. Like the only time I've ever gone on Yelp, for example, and, and posted, and it's only been a few times is either I was so excited mm -hmm. that it was like, this is the best food I've ever eaten. Mm -hmm. Or it was like, this is the worst food I've ever eaten. There was no middle ground. And I, and I did ask myself, like, wait, you're, on, you're at such an extreme. You've never even posted on Nextdoor. I don't even know why I thought it would be a good idea. But, but you're just going to go on this rant, and, and there's better ways to go about this. Right? Yeah. There's got to be a better way that is going to be less alienating for the audience. And, and, and I think that what you're talking about is – you know, your brand, the way you, that you present yourself, the way that you present the, the, the art or, or the craft or however we talk about taxidermy, you know, it's in an accessible voice. It's friendly. Um, the classes, I mean, I've, I've seen what you do. They, they're not scary. I don't feel like, I mean, it's not intimidating, intimidating. Like if you can get over the initial kind of, you know, maybe you know, fear of, 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 you know, uh, a carcass, like then, then it's then, I'll, Oh, okay. Well I can, I can probably figure out how to do this. She's being very patient. She's showing me like there's care. Oh, I could pick this up. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, it's, 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 it's such a weird thing, but talking about the classes for a second, you know, you, you've had a lot of success 
with physical classes, bringing people into the studio. I, I, I've read the reviews. They're, they're exceptional. The pandemic happens. What happens to that line of business? Yeah, so that line of business was gone. Um, but it, to be honest with you, it was on hold for a second anyway. I had neck surgery. That wasn't my favorite thing, but um, but I'm, I'm great now. So wow. it had been on hold for a second anyway, and I was really ready to bring it back. And then pandemic, so that wasn't going to happen. But what I did start doing during the pandemic, and like I said, around also to help support things like Black Lives Matter, was the dead stream. These were these free lessons on Instagram that I was doing. I mean, whole taxidermy lessons. And um, those went really well. And, and teaching on camera, uh, even with something that was free, it seemed to go well. Atlas Obscura reached out to me. They're a company who does classes and events that I'd worked with before. They wanted to do online demonstration courses. Great. So I did not know they would be so popular. I have made way more money in my virtual classes than in my in-person ones. Um, you know, in one course, I had over 300 students. Um, I'm, you know, all paying. And that course was two hours over three different days. So for six hours that month, just working six hours, I made three times my rent at my business. Mm. So that was pretty great. Yeah in six hours. So it's been fantastic in that sense. I found a whole new line of business. I am going to be doing those, more of those, Um, you know, and I bought a whole bunch of gear to kind of keep doing it. Um, I liked doing it live that, that really worked for me and how I like to be. You talk about being approachable and all of that. I keep things very, it's educational without being stodgy because, you know, I don't, I don't have a degree in this, right? I mean, this is, this is a trade job. Yes. I get, I work with scientists and, and, and educators and all of that. And it very much is a science, but it's also very much an art, but it is a trade. It's a trade job. So I try to keep things, you know, smartly casual, if you will. I make a lot of animal puns. I make it approachable. And then also with my students, it's so easy to just tell them like, you guys, you can't mess up. It's already dead. It can't get any worse. Right. Everything from here on up is is gravy. Like yeah. it's dead. Come on. So I think having people look at it that way, and also taking a bit of the mystique away from of away from dead things. Right. All a dead thing is. I mean, you've got dead things if you eat meat. They're all in your f- freezer, your your fridge. Well, my studio is no different, except that I'm not eating them. I'm just reassembling them. So mm-hmm. it's not different. It's like a kitchen and an art studio, yeah. right? Yeah, I like so. that. <laughs> I like that. Alex, when you do the live events, is there um, is there like a feedback loop? Can you see like comments coming in? Are you aware of the participants? Yeah, so we've been doing these on Zoom, and Atlas Obscura provides a moder- moderator, and um, they will actually watch the chat and like. If I'm kind of in the middle of something, doing something, they'll wait for a pause and be like, hey, can you clarify this? We have a question from so-and-so. And at the end of it, I do a Q&A as well. So 
so I do, um, so I am, and every now and then I'll see like a question pop up because I got kind of good peripheral going on and I can see that. So it ends up being pretty interactive, um, you know, with moderation interactive. Have you ever done the, um, you know, just kind of the, the non real time, I'm just going to go in a recording studio and record like a lesson. Uh, I did some of those. Yes. And they're professionally filmed and, and everything. Um, I didn't love how they turned out. It just felt too produced. Mm -hmm. And there's something about the working live. I just really like that. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And when I work on something and I do it live, having my students relax helps me relax by telling them it doesn't have to be perfect. I get to tell myself it doesn't have to be perfect. So when I work on video content that is not live, and then I think about lighting and editing and how I look and how the specimen looks and how I'm teaching. It never ends up getting done and it never did get done. I filmed those back in 2017. They are nowhere. This is the, the live aspect of it. It was what works for me. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that being more exciting in a way too, because you are interacting with people and you're feeling their energy. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I mean, it's a weird thing to say, but you know, you're very um, aware that there's humans on the other end that are actually watching you at that moment versus, hey, it's like five of us in a studio and yeah, people are going to watch this after the fact, but I don't know who those people are and I'm not feeling their energy. It's just, this is just a a show. Yes, exactly. And it's so different for me doing things on Zoom or on Instagram. I know who my followers are. I know who my, my real world students have signed up for classes, you know, so, so I like, I know who people are and they know who I am. And it just, um, It just, it makes me feel better, but it's also the thing that I feel like doing. I know this about myself. If I don't want to do something, I'm just not going to do it. You know, ask the people who keep giving me jury summons. Uh, I'll never respond to those. I'm sorry. But like I, so doing something live, like that's what works. So I think my advice, you know, to people in general would be like, if you don't feel like doing something and you probably won't do it, go find the thing that you want to do. What is the medium? What is the way of doing the marketing that you want to do? What's a channel that you'll actually get done and get it out there? i rather have something imperfect out there that I love doing than have something that's perfect and sitting on my computer because I do have that. And it's, it's, no, it's never going to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Alice, do you, do you have people that you consult with on, you know, on your strategy, on your PR, on, on the marketing that you do? Like, are, is there a, a dream team somewhere in the back room that are just cranking this stuff out? No, it's amazing. It's just me. And I've gotten some like, look, I mean, no joke. I've gotten in some amazing publications like New York Times, this, that, L magazine. There's like some stuff out there. No, it's just me. But I think the reason it can be just me doing the marketing is because I have set up my brand in a way that I don't really have to try. Um, I don't search for um, any type of, uh, you know, promotion, it comes to my inbox because I am the dog who can walk on two legs, right? I am a female in a male driven industry, which is, is, 
great. That's a wonderful niche for me. Um, I'm in an industry that's also super niche that has this preconceived notion that's kind of controversial, also works for me. And then I figured out a look that works for it. So, and I put up photos of myself in that look and therefore people approach me because they know when they, they want photos of the woman who looks like this, that makes things that look like that. So in that sense, I've been very smart. I've put that out there into the world. And so now I have like photographers that reach out to me, which is very flattering and very wonderful. And it's been very, very useful. And I've done that um, very much on purpose. Yeah. I think it's important to also point out that, you know, in, in your origin story in like year one of Alice, the taxidermist, you, you did go out and I don't know for how many years you worked at the natural history museum, but you trained you, oh, yeah. you, you know, you worked under, um, I can't remember your mentor's name, but like a, a very, um, significant person in the industry. Yeah, Tim Bovard. Tim has been at the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles for over 35 years. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I could not have gotten a better education. And that's a big part of it, too, right? Because, you know, I mean, talking about marketing and being very pragmatic about why I get a, a tension in that way. But you're, I mean, I definitely don't want to take away from myself or give people the idea that I didn't go out and like get all of this training, um, which, which is at the heart of what I do. I want to do, I want to make incredible pieces that look alive so that people will care about these animals, the marketing, the other stuff I do, the way I dress, whatever, that's just tricking people to end up learning like that and caring about the earth. Like, ah, this is a good, I'm PT Barnum over here on that. But I did, um, I did, I really feel like I got the most solid foundation one could get in taxidermy, learning from Tim, working there for a number of years, opening two exhibits there. And I continue to work with them today. I'm a Prey Taxidermy is a partner organization. Um, and I've traveled, oh gosh, uh, to so many different countries learning from other taxidermists as well. So you got to have the goods to back it up. But yeah. 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 And, and you didn't mention this, but I will. Um, and you've won multiple awards for your work. Like, you're, you mean, you've earned that master taxidermist title. Thank you. Yeah. I've, I've cleaned up at the world championships and hope yeah. to do so again this coming May. Yeah. And, and the reason I want to point that out is that I don't want listeners to think that it's all smoke and mirrors and it's all marketing and it's all image. Your success is rooted in your talent and your passion for, for taxidermy itself. It just so happens that <laughs> you seem to have this ungodly, um, you know, ungodly brilliant skill for how to market yourself and your company. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad it worked out that I happened to be good at taxidermy because it'd be real bummer if I wasn't, (laughs) you know, do you, do you, do you see a, you know, what's that, what's that uh, movie closed doors or open doors, you know, you know, lighting doors. Yes. Do you see like a, an alternative version of your life where you, you continued on as a marketer? Uh, you know, it's so fun. I was thinking about this yesterday, um, you know, because we had this coming up today and everything. I I think I don't think it would be good. I think for me, you know, especially at the end of my um, 
of uh, the end of my time at Disney. Like, I don't really like the person I was turning into. Mm -hmm. I was quite aggravated all the time and just like a bit too hyper and and angry, Um, you know, and I now have a job that is very quiet. I'm not allowed around a lot of people. This is my typical day here in many ways. Um, I mean, besides doing the podcast, like I'm alone here in my studio with my dog, Um, you know, and I have a few people that work for me, but it's in and out. But I think, you know, that environment as a marketer and as, you know, good that I like to think that I, I was at that, I think that I was bad at being someone who could find that balance between having a more fast paced job and maybe being a more low key good person. Yeah. I, I don't think I would have been great. Yeah. Do you remember, um, I wasn't going to bring this up, but it, I think about it often. Do you remember the day that, uh, David Horn didn't show up and, uh, and, and you ended up, I can't remember the circumstances, but I think you, you were trying to reach him. You were worried about him. He didn't show up for work and you put his computer out in the middle of the hallway and his desk. (laughs) Yeah. I put his entire desk set up in the hallway, like rearranged everything, how they should be arranged. And he did not take it well. He did not see it as like, the joke that I wanted it to be. Um, I think there's a lot of things like that. I think that I thought we were friends and he thought maybe rightfully so that I was a bully. Like when I, I probably think of David Horn like more than I should. And I'm like, I think I was, I think I was a real asshole to him. So I might have to send him this podcast and just be like, sometimes I think about you and I feel really bad. I do. He's such a nice guy too. But I, I thought, I thought what had happened was that you were upset because you were trying to contact him and you were worried about him and your retaliation. See how I rewrite things in my head. No, I your, think you're right about this. Your retaliation was like, Hey, screw you, David. I'm going to put your stuff out in the hall because you made me go through all this like worry and uh, I'm going to teach you a lesson. And I think that's uh, accurate though. Yeah. And, he, yeah. And, he came, and, but I do remember he was not, he was not having it. He was not happy about that. Well, remember I put all of Joe Staffel's, I moved his entire office to his parking space. <laughs> remember his rug, his desk, his com- everything, everything, his lamps, put it uh-huh. in his parking spot. So when he went to pull in, he just saw his whole desk there and then sent out a big thing about that's where his new summer office was. Uh-huh. He thought it was funny. Yeah. Alice, you, it was so, I, I, now I'm just having flashbacks of, um, of the good old days, but man, what a, what a, what a, a joy and a privilege that we shared that time together. Cause, uh, it was, you know, it was fun. It was, it a was lot of fun. fun. Who gets yeah. to do, who gets to like, you know, do that at Disney, who gets to have that much fun and that like wild of a crew all of a sudden have a business unit, one of the largest corporations in a world, in the world and no babysitter. Yeah. Like that was amazing. I, th- I think that was supposed to be my job. Um. I was going to say, I was like, I think you were supposed to be the babysitter, but you were having way too much fun like uh. with everyone. Yeah. Alice, what's the best way for uh, folks who are interested in you or taxidermy or want to sign up for classes? What's the best way to, to find out more information? 
I put pretty much everything on my Instagram. It's at Alice, but it's just my name is spelled A-L-L-I-S. So just at Alice. That's on Instagram. Early adopter, five letters. Wow. That's, that's my impressive. Handle. That's very impressive. Thank you. Um, Alice, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and uh and, 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 and enlightening myself and, and the audience and, and letting me kind of uh, share some memories with you. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you for having me. This is so wonderful. And the whole, this whole take on what I do, I've never been asked any questions about this before. And then especially by someone who I had the pleasure of working for and learning from. So thank you. Thank you, Alice. Listeners, uh, this is DTC Growth Hacking. It is presented by Field Test. Um, I want to give a, a heartfelt thanks to our guest today, Alice Markham of Prey Taxidermy. Um, there are episodes that come out every Tuesday, and if you like this sort of thing and really getting to know the people who are who are just making it happen out in the world of DTC, uh, this is the place to, to find out. So subscribe, follow, and listen. Again, it's presented by Field Test. Garrett Griebel is our sound engineer and editor, and my name's Rob McGray. Thank you. Thanks, Alice. Thank you. This was a Field Test Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.